Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. that it's pride. Pride sits on top of the list of things that God hates. You and I don't hate anything to the degree that God hates pride. Because he's holy and he's pure. You and I don't hate anything to the degree that he hates pride. And you and I aren't looking for anything in the way or to the degree that he is looking for humility. And, I, and I, hope, I hope to drive this home because I, I'm not sure that we're really convinced that pride is such a big deal. We confess that we have pride, but I, I don't know that we're really convicted of our pride. I'm not sure that we understand the seriousness of our pride. And this exercise that I had you do was uh, an attempt or in the hope that you would recognize that pride is serious to God. So serious that it got uh, Satan kicked out of heaven. <coughs> so serious that it got Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden. And so serious about pride that it is really the only thing that can keep you out of heaven. A lack of humility can keep you out of heaven. Listen to these scriptures. They were upsetting to me. I think, you know, things are so funny here in the States that like we, we, we actually, the thing that God hates most, we see as a virtue and not a vice. Like pride is a good thing. Get some pride in yourself, man. <clears throat> things are so out of whack that the thing that is on top of God's list has become a virtue for us. Proverbs 6, 16 says, six, These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to Him. And what's the first one? A proud look. God hates pride so much He doesn't even want you to look proud. <laughs> this reminds me of uh, arguments with, with Avery. Knock that off. But I'm not. Don't even look like you are. <laughs> God hates pride so much it's like don't, don't even look proud I don't 
just wipe that look off your face. You look proud right now. Proverbs 8.13 says, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. And then he says, I hate pride and arrogance. Proverbs 16.5 The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. If you only hear one thing that I say today, hear this, that I want you to, I want you to, if if you just left with this, I want you to leave with an understanding that pride is your greatest enemy and humility is your greatest friend. If that's all you left with this morning, I would be satisfied. Pride is your greatest enemy. Some of you are going, no, that, that can't be true. You don't. You know, I, I carried in some things here. You know, you don't understand. I looked at porn probably two or three times this week. You know, I'm dealing with, with some other things. There are greater enemies in my life than pride. And what I want to share with you is that, yeah, there might be some more apparent fruit sin in your life. But at the root of that sin is pride. That you may be able to see, taste, that there might be rotting fruit in your life. But at the root of that fruit sin is pride. That it's pride that's growing these things in your life. Sometimes, um, you know, I, 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 this, this was really true to me even this week as I studied. I felt blind to this. Some of the fruit sins in your life are very apparent. We all see it. We all know um, that you're controlling we all know that you're scared. We all know that, you know, gossip. We all, we, we, we see the fruit and sin in your life. It's very apparent. We can go, duh, you know, this, this is, this is rotten. We don't often see our pride. And so because it's not so apparent, I don't know that we notice it or, or, or even see the seriousness of it. Pride, what's, what, what is uh, so sneaky about our pride is that it, it not only destroys, but it also deceives. Pride, um, if I could bring like a, a definition to it, is when sinful human beings aspire to the status and position of God, and they refuse to acknowledge their dependence on Him. When you uh, are in pride, you're contending for supremacy with God. You're actually lifting your heart up against Him. This pride in our lives, it takes a bunch of different forms, but the end is the same, and that's self-glorification. The the proud person seeks to glorify himself and not glorify God. (laughs) The title of the message I pulled from a quote from John Stott, and he says this, At every stage of our Christian development and in every sphere of our Christian discipleship, pride is our greatest enemy and humility our greatest friend. I'm just going to pray right now, if that's okay. Would you guys join me? Holy Spirit, I want to ask that you would convince us of this truth. I find myself sharing this stuff and I, I know deep down I'm still not convinced. We're confessing that we're proud, but we're not convicted of our pride. I pray that your word would would cut through and penetrate our hearts. We thank you for your conviction because it leads to conversion in our lives.
lives. And we want to be different. We welcome it. We're not running from it. We're not going to spend the whole church service telling ourselves I'm not. <coughs> but we're coming to you. And we're, we're coming with you. Not, ask, not even asking you if we're proud. We're saying to you, God, where are we proud? And how is it operating in our lives? It's not a question of if. It's a question of when, where, and how. So we welcome your correction. We're not running from you. Amen. <clears throat> Humility is honestly assessing ourselves in the light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. Listen to this passage from Isaiah. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. He's actually looking for humility. He's actually drawn to humility. You can attract God with your humility. It, uh, scripture says that God gives grace to the humble. The one that God the one that God helps is not the one who helps himself. The one who God helps is the one who's humble. You can attract God's unmerited favor and kindness in your life through humility. This is uh, God's plan of salvation from the beginning to lift up the humble. In fact, I think that this is a really consistent theme. You've heard this passage before when it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This is a theme throughout the whole of Scripture. There are too many stories in the Bible to share with you this morning. This is it. This is the theme from start to finish. God opposes the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. This is one of the major themes in Scripture. Your humility, it connects you with God. Your pride keeps you from God. So he hates pride. And he's really attracted to humility. Listen to this from Mary when she found out she was caring. Mary, the mother of Jesus, says this. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is the song of praise that comes from Mary when she uh, finds out that God's chosen her. Which that, in an, it, that story, read chapter uh, one of the book of Luke. What a testimony of God 
exalting those that are humble and opposing those that are proud. This was the problem in Philippi that we're going to look at today. The problem was pride manifesting itself in selfishness, rivalry, conceit. And the answer, Paul says to this church, is humility. Open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 2. We'll start in verse 1 and read to uh, verse 11. This is one of the most famous passages in the whole Bible. And let me tell you this, I'm not going to attempt to explain this today. We're going to be unpacking this passage for eternity. There is uh, so much here. So there's some issues in the church in Philippi. There's some conflict that we'll get to a little bit later in chapter, I think it's four. But Paul's addressing this as he writes, and he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The reason, I I don't know if you're looking at this in your Bible um, or if you're looking at it on the bulletin. But the reason it appears the way that it appears inside your Bible is because this became a hymn. This was a hymn for the early church. This wasn't just something they talked about. This is something that they sang. They understood that they'd be unpacking this for a while. This is doctrine on fire. They're singing this. Meditating on this. Chanting this over and over again. I hope this morning that this passage that you've heard, you know, maybe if you grew up in the church, maybe you've heard this a thousand times before. I pray that this would capture you and fascinate you. That there would be something in you that's just like, what? I'm so uh, taken back by this passage. 
This morning, I, I just want to talk about pride versus humility. Paul seems to be saying really simply to the Philippian church, pride is your problem and humility is the answer. And I want to go ahead and assume that that might be true for you this morning. I know that there's fruit, but at the, at the root of that fruit, there's pride. Pride's most likely the problem. Humility most likely the answer. Uh, pride is, uh, like I said, pretty, pretty sneaky. Humility, uh, I heard one author say, is the shyest of virtues. Once you know you have it, it's gone. <laughs> so I'm going to bring some definition to pride. But beyond exposing our pride, I'm hoping to give us some practices this morning that will wage war on our pride and will cultivate humility because God's given us practices that assault our pride. He's asked us to do things. He's given us tools that cultivate humility in our lives. This was a pretty difficult passage to say something new about, so I stopped thinking about what new spin I could put on Philippians 2, and I started reading other people. Jonathan Edwards lived a couple hundred years ago, and um, he was a Christian who spent a lot of, of time thinking about humility and pride. He was part of a great awakening here in our nation. And he said that pride manifests itself in four ways. This is, this is being summarized. And these words are a couple hundred years old, so stick with me on this. But pride manifests itself in a drivenness. Pride manifests itself in scornfulness. Pride manifests itself in willfulness. And pride manifests itself in self-consciousness. Therefore, humility, the humility that we want, is opposed to these things. So let me talk um, really quick about the drivenness. Pride is drivenness. And I think we need to be careful with this one. Um, so, so many times why we're doing what we're doing is to exalt ourselves. So often we're self-promoting. Because there's a deep insecurity in us. <coughs> Often I think our, our, our pride, as it manifests itself in drivenness, can become so quickly the pride of life, the boasting in what someone has or what he does. C.S. Lewis said, says this, um, because this drivenness I think, can sometimes come in the form of rivalry and what Philippians 2 says, a vain conceit, which means that you're empty of glory. There's a rivalry that you're striving, that you're working because you are actually competitive with the people that you're next to. C.S. Lewis says, pride gets no pleasure out of having something. It only gets pleasure out of having more of it than the next person. As I thought about uh, pride and how it shows itself in drivenness, I begin to think that what we need in order to do this, what we need in order to actually do Philippians 2, 
not just talk about Philippians 2. What we need in our lives to do Philippians 2 is a, is a redefinition of greatness. Greatness needs to be redefined for us. We're constantly being bombarded with a definition of success and greatness. And it's very different than how the Bible defines true greatness. And at the beginning of Philippians 2, I don't know if you noticed this, but it said, we have to have the same mindset as Jesus. We have to think the same way about greatness as Jesus did. In our culture, greatness can sometimes look like individuals motivated by self-interest. And also motivated by a false sense of self-sufficiency. I got this. Pursuing selfish ambition for the purpose of a self-glorification. Sometimes this is, can be the motivation behind our drive. If you want to, turn with me to Mark chapter 10. James and John, who are a couple of uh, Jesus' disciples, they came to him and they said, Teacher, uh, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Pretty bold. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Uh, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus said. They replied, Let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Which is awesome. Here we have the two forms of pride. One guy, a couple of the guys say it, and the other guys are just scoffing at him. You guys are idiots. I would never say that to Jesus. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Listen to this radical redefinition of greatness. Whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I want you to notice a couple things here. And the first is that Jesus doesn't criticize their desire for greatness. He redirects it. Okay, that's fine. You guys want to be great? Great. This is what greatness means. This is what it looks like. This is how I define it. For James and John, they wanted position. They wanted status. They wanted authority. They wanted power. They wanted fame. That's not the biblical definition of greatness. Your drive today, if you feel like, yeah, this shows up for me, I feel driven. I don't know what's driving me. That's fantastic. If you want to be driven, that's fantastic. Just, just make sure you understand the biblical definition of success and greatness. <coughs> Pursue that, not a cultural definition. 
Is pride manifesting itself in your life in, in drivenness? Are you unable to stop? Are you compulsive? Are you obsessive? Are you controlling? Unable to rest? Unable to relax? Here's a couple of humble practices that the Lord has given us that will wage war on your pride and cultivate humility within your life. We can weaken, we can weaken our greatest enemy and we can strengthen our greatest friend. Um, and in this area, I, I, I believe that what God has asked us to do is to rest and to cast. And I'll explain what I mean. Many of you have probably stumbled across the word Sabbath if you read your Bible. Um, especially if you read the Old Testament, you've probably stumbled across this word. And it was a day that the, the people of God were called to cease. And they were called to recognize that they were sustained by God. So they would stop doing whatever they were doing. And they would recognize that they are being sustained by God. That they aren't man-made. That the world doesn't revolve around them. The Sabbath was a day to rest and remember that the world goes on without you. That you're not that big of a deal. I know you came to church to hear something different than that. Sorry. And in the big picture, believe it or not, the world does not revolve around you. And when we're in this mode, pride is showing up in our lives. I love that I watch them. So you think you can dance? Since we're on the, the topic of humility... I also watch Project Runway. <laughs> and maybe America's Next Top Model. <laughs> I humble myself before you. I love, I love when someone gets voted off of that show. And they always come forward and Kat Deegley tells them, like, we will never forget you. Oh, you've made such an impact on us. We will never forget you. And then next week we're watching the show. Who got voted off? I don't know. I don't know. I can't remember. Some guy in a tank top, I think his name was Alex, maybe. <laughs> Forgotten. I mean, literally hours after the show. Forgotten. You're not that big of a deal. The world goes on without you. This church would go on without me. <clears throat> And when I get in the mode of thinking that this church can't go on without me, I'm operating in pride and I'm in the way of what God wants to do here. The other thing, so, so, so rest is a way that we can assault our pride and humble ourselves. Even going to sleep, right? God... The fact that I am so tired today is a great reminder that you are the creator and I am creation. And there are limitations on what I can do. And I'm going to bed. I know that's not, this doesn't show up for some of you. Some of you don't need to be told to go to bed. Some of you need to be told to wake up. I get it. But for, for some of you, really, I, I'm, I'm inviting you to deal with your enemy by resting. Man. 
The other thing to do is you cast. You cast your cares on him. Peter describes this and he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And then he says, and then he shows us how we can humble ourselves. Cast your anxieties on him. What? Because he cares for you. Where there's worry in your life and where there's anxiety, there's probably you trying to be self-sufficient. You trying to act independent of God. Rest and cast. The other thing he says is it shows up in scornfulness, which is essentially mocking, sarcasm, treating others with contempt. Uh, Ridicule is always motivated by pride. Ridicule is always motivated by pride because what's the metaphor we use that we're putting others down so that we can feel better about ourselves and what Philippians tells us is that we should consider others better than ourselves. Does this show up in your life? About to ridicule you for not raising your hand. Let me talk to you about an alternative to your scornfulness or your sarcasm or your ridicule. Encourage others with your mouth and be grateful. Wage war on your pride and cultivate humility in your life by encouraging others. Where there's a lack of you encouraging others in your life, there's the presence of pride. Because you're unaware of others. You're so preoccupied with yourself that you don't know that someone got their hair cut. I would suggest to you this morning that probably those that are the most encouraging, they're they're humble people. Because they're tuned in to what others need. They're tuned in to what others, uh, what's going on for others. The proud are too preoccupied with themselves. And they're too entitled to be grateful. In your pride, you feel like you deserve these things. So I'd encourage you, wage war on your pride. Be grateful. Thankful. Thankfulness is a soil that pride doesn't easily grow in. Ephesians 4.29, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. I find that so interesting. Speak words that build others up according to their needs. Not necessarily what you want to say, but what they need to hear. That it may benefit those who listen. Words are powerful. We speak like 25,000 words a day. I wonder how many of them are useful for building somebody up. I, 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 I wanted to explore this a little bit more because I thought about, you know, uh, words that build others up are more than just niceties. Words that build others up are not just, you know, um, being polite. Words that build people up are when we recognize that, man, my words can serve someone right now. What do they need according to their needs? Do they need comfort? Because I'll give comfort. Do they need a warning? (coughs) Do they need a rebuke? Do they need strong words? We're not talking about, you know, you're only allowed to say you look nice today. But you want to use your words to serve others. What do they need? 
where they are. This other passage, uh, you've probably heard it before out of Hebrews, says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Encourage one another daily. Work your pride and cultivate humility. Encourage others daily. Willfulness is the third thing that, that Jonathan Edwards says that pride manifests itself in willfulness, which is a stubborn, rigid inflexibility. Your way or the highway is how a willful person acts. Proud people, you know this, they can't admit that they're wrong. Uh, and I wanted to ask you, are you open to advice? A teachable, are you easy to correct? Let me talk to you about a humble alternative to your willfulness, your stubbornness. And this really, I think if, our, if we walked away together exercising one thing, if we did this, it would change our church. Invite and pursue correction. Start with an assumption that you don't see it straight and invite correction in your life. Pursue correction in your life. You'll deal a death blow to your pride. <laughs> you want to deal with your pride. You want to wage war with your pride. Invite correction in your life. Pursue it. And it will cultivate humility. I love this. As I thought about this, I thought to myself, man, I don't have a problem exposing my sin as long as I'm the one exposing my sin. And I have a real problem when someone else wants to do that. Immediately defend. Well, don't tell me something I don't know. I know I'm pissed. You know? It's like, I need to be in control of this. I'm okay with exposing my sin. Don't you do it. Invite and pursue correction. Without the help of others. You've got stuff in your teeth. You do. Right now, you've got stuff in your teeth. You don't see it. You're carrying on like having a conversation. There's a fat piece of cilantro covering up one of your teeth. You need others to point that out. You don't see it all. And you don't see it straight. Without the help of others, you listen to your own arguments. You believe your own lies and you buy into your own delusions. It makes sense to me. The way of a fool, Proverbs said, is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Deal with your willfulness and the manifestation of your pride by inviting, pursuing correction. Maybe you could start by asking these questions. Um, do you confess your sin consistently? Or is it something that happens a couple times a year? That makes sense because you probably sin a couple times a year. <laughs> Do you confess it consistently or, or are you proud? Do you confess specific sin and not just general categories of sin? I mean, I had a heck of a week, man. I was just really struggling. Okay? <laughs> With what? You know, guy stuff? Yeah, all right. 
Well, you know, just, you know, things that are common to man. <laughs> do you confess specific instances of sin? Or are you proud? Uh, do others, you can ask this question, ask this question. Do others find it easy to correct you? Do others know the areas of temptation in your life? Declare war on your greatest enemy by inviting and pursuing correction. The fourth way is he says it shows up in self-consciousness. And typically when we think of pride or we think of someone who's proud, we think of someone who's a self-promoter. We think of boastful people, right? That's not what John Stott says. Or this was Jonathan Edwards. This is just a self-consciousness. You're just completely aware of yourself all the time. All you think about is yourself. And that can manifest in superiority, but it can also manifest in inferiority. Just always thinking about yourself. Pride manifests itself in self-consciousness, not just in superiority. That's probably rarely the case for you. It manifests itself also in an inferiority. What am I doing here? You know, just completely self-absorbed. Pride, pride, I, I don't want to say never, because I don't know that this is necessarily true, but I'll say never, and you can weigh it. Pride is never thinking too highly of yourself. It's just always thinking too much on yourself. You're always thinking about yourself. Humility is the opposite of this self-consciousness. It's not being up on yourself. It's not being down on yourself. It's just forgetting about yourself. I love it because Paul, you know, Paul doesn't say in this passage, he doesn't say like, hey, so, so hate yourself. And uh, don't have any interests. He says, look to the interests of others. He doesn't say, don't have any interests. Because you're worthless. You know, this, this is not what Paul's doing here. He's not saying that you're unimportant. He's just saying, consider others more important than yourself. Don't have any goals. You know, it's, it's not what he's saying here. Consider others as more important than yourselves. That's the humble alternative. Don't think of yourself at all. Just stop thinking about yourself. Good luck with that. Pray for you. <laughs> I love this passage because I think Paul Paul gets it. That's a funny thing for me to say about Paul. I think Paul gets it. Um, but I think he recognized that this church could work on their humility. <coughs> That humility was a byproduct of success. That you don't tackle your humility. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get more humble. That humility is most likely the byproduct of looking to something else. That you don't work on your, your humility by looking at your humility. You work on your humility by looking at Jesus Christ. Humility is a byproduct of just being completely fascinated and obsessed with Jesus Christ. There's, 
There's not a, a passage more fascinating than this one. It just captures me when I read it. And I don't know how I can read this passage without screaming at the end of it. We have no idea of the implications of this passage. There's so much for us here. Let Jesus capture your attention. It's like, rather than talk to the Philippians about what's going wrong, he just pulls out the manual and just holds up a picture of Jesus. Do this. (laughs) Build this. It says in this passage that Jesus made himself nothing. That Jesus emptied himself of his glory. That he had no beauty. Isaiah tells us that he was lonely. And he was beaten and he was poor and he was rejected. He made himself rejectable. He lost his glory. And this passage in Philippians 2 radically screams that the way up is down. The way to rule is to serve. The way to truly be rich is to give away. The way to become happy is not to seek your own happiness, but to seek that for others. The most glorious thing we can do, says Philippians 2, is give away our glory. Jesus became small so that we could become big. He lost his glory and now we have his righteousness. He became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. And when you see what he did for you, when you meditate on this passage and you see that Jesus Christ actually did this for you, you'll be able to do this for others. There's no way to do this apart from receiving what Jesus Christ has done for you. One other practice I'd like to give you to deal with your pride and strengthen, cultivate humility in your life is just to reflect on the cross. It's hard to be proud standing close to the cross. John Stott writes, every time we look at the cross of Christ, it seems to be saying to us, I am here because of you. It is your sin I am bearing, your curse I am suffering, your debt I am paying, your death I am dying. (coughs) Nothing in history or in the universe cuts us down to size like the cross. All of us have inflated views of ourselves, especially in self-righteousness. Until we have visited the place called Calvary, it is there at the foot of the cross that we shrink to our true size. The King James Version says this of Jesus, that he became of no reputation. I was so convicted as I read that this week. Because in some ways, I, I, I'm 
totally aware that he has given up his reputation in order to get to me. And I'm unwilling to give up my reputation for him. I want to pray and then invite you to take communion, reflect on the cross, the blood of Jesus Christ poured out for you. He emptied himself for you. He became poor so that you could become rich. And I'd like you to reflect on his body broken for you. Sean, would you come? Is that all right? Jesus. We want to uh, see pride as our greatest enemy and not as our roommate. We want to see humility as our greatest friend. We thank you for your example that we stand here today going, we, we can't do this apart from you. We thank you, not just for your example. You, you've, you did an incredible job not just telling us what to do, but showing us what to do. What an example you are. But I want to thank you that you not only showed us what to do, but you made a way for us to do it through your blood. Through your body broken. There's grace for us to live humble lives. There's grace for us to escape our self-centeredness. Lord, we're just so focused on ourselves. We're convinced that what we think is, is right. We just humble ourselves and we just say to you, Father, that we want to get as close to the cross as we possibly can. We've walked away from it maybe this week, this month. Maybe we've walked away from the cross for years. We want to walk back. Because it's just really hard to be arrogant there. It's really hard to be proud there. I want to pray a grace over our church that we could lose our lives and really find them. We're, we're working really hard to find our lives and we're losing them right now, God. We just want to lose them for your sake and really find life. Forgive us for our drivenness. Where there's been rivalry and vain conceit in our hearts. Forgive us for our scornfulness where we've been sarcastic. We've ridiculed people. Forgive us for our willfulness where we've been proud, arrogant, stiff-necked. Thank you for losing yourself for us. We worship you, Jesus.
we worship you. We thank you for this passage. We, we realize, God, we're going to be forever talking about this passage. We humble ourselves and ask that you would lift us up. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantbicelia.com. Until next time.